sacrificed like Jesus and they reconciled relationships like Jesus. They had authority through the power of Jesus. So what does that look like in our world? What does it look like to be like Jesus? What does it look like for us in, our, in, 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 in 2020? What does it look like to us for us to walk in the ways of Jesus and for the watching world to see that we look set apart from culture, we look set apart from the world? And as you go through Scripture, Jesus defined this for us in at least seven statements. He said, if you want to be my disciples, then, and he filled in the blank, if you want to be my disciples, a couple weeks ago we looked at that uh, passage, uh, if you want to be my disciples, you take up your cross and follow me. The invitation to follow Jesus. And last week we talked about the direction of following Jesus and the way of the cross. Today, I want to start in John chapter 12. So if you brought a Bible or if you got a device, if you would look there in John chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 25. John 12, 25. John writes the words of Jesus. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And here's the main point today. We might have a few little sub-points if we get time. But the main point that I want to talk about today, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to serve me, follow me. And then secondly, he says, and where I am, there my servant will be. My servants must be where I am. We must be with Jesus. And this is the whole point, right? If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we actually have to follow him. And we have to side with him we have to side with Jesus against whatever comes up against Jesus. Unforgiveness in your heart, we have to side with Jesus and forgive. Whatever that might be. Stinginess in our heart, we have to side with Jesus and be generous. Anger building up in your heart, again, we have to side with, we have to side with Jesus. Slander coming out of our mouth, we have to uh, repent of that and we've got to side with Jesus. This is what it means to be the followers of Jesus. There were no signs in the first century that distinguished the church, that we were, you know, first Christian church of the age. There were no signs. The signs were the people's lives. And their lives looked so radically different than the rest of the world that the watching world, even the emperors began to inquire about what makes that group of people so different. And the answer is they were following Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, I've got, it's going to be better for you for me to go and then send the Spirit. And on the Mount of Ascension, he told them to go and pray. The Holy Spirit was going to come. And in Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit coming. And we see the church begins to spread like wildfire. And it grew from 120 to 3,000 on that day because the power of the Spirit began to work in the lives of everyday believers. And then it goes on to say, and the church grew in number daily. It was added to daily, not because of their marketing campaign, not because of, of, of any of their, you know, collective statements or mantras. It was the world was changed because these people's lives were changed. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I've just got to be with him. Imagine this. Imagine Jesus moved down the road from you. Wouldn't that be cool? In your neighborhood, just a couple houses down, Jesus moved down. 
And, you know, you can see him there. Every day you're headed to work, you just wave. There's Jesus out there watering the lawn. You come back home, he's sitting on the porch drinking sweet tea. That's what Jesus would drink. I'm convinced of it, right? He would be there. And if you ever had any problems, you could just go over to Jesus' front porch and you could just vent your worries or your angers. You could just let him, you could laugh with him. It's amazing to me seeing Jesus with his disciples engaging, having so much fun together. You know, it would be just Jesus down the road. And it would be great for Jesus just to live right down the road from you. Access to his friendship and his wisdom. Whether you should take this job or not. Or what about these relationships? How am I going to, you could, you had all that access, Jesus, down the road. But that's not what Jesus asked for. He's not going to move down the road from you. It's not, it's not Christ next to you, the hope of glory. What is it? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus doesn't want to live down the road to give you advice when you need it. No, Jesus wants to move into your house. Revelations 3, the letter written by Jesus to the churches, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open that door, I would come in with him and sit with him and dine with him. Jesus doesn't want to be down the road, advice giver. No, he, he wants to come in. And he don't want to come in and just sit in the living room. He wants to get all up in your business. Because that's what it means to follow him as Lord of our lives, to be with him. Any of you got that junk drawer in your house that just collects junk, right? I was looking for some batteries the other day in my house. And, um, you know, don't judge us. Uh, we, have, we have two of those in the kitchen. And oh, maybe, maybe six of those. Okay, you'd have to come look and, and tell us yourself. But I am just pulling things out and finding things from 1996. You know, you're just like going through like, oh, I, you know, there's my class ring. I didn't know that was in there. You keep going out. But then it even gets worse, right? We don't just have the junk drawers. Again, please don't judge us. We have a, we have a junk closet. It's the kind of closet like you don't want to open up because something might fall down on you right? It's like, you know, lamps that were, you know, in style in the 80s, probably. And as we've changed things out, Christmas decorations, any of you just hide Christmas decorations in like the weirdest places? I got some of those in there, and then the blankets, and then if someone comes over real quick, hey, somebody's in the driveway, let's just pick up whatever we can, and we just throw it in that closet. When Jesus comes in, with kindness, absolutely, and by invitation, he comes to one part of your house, to one part of your life after another, and he pulls it out and says, hey, let's, let's go through this. Look at, look at this in here. You've got all this, you've got all this stinginess and hatred. You've got such selfishness in here. We just need to deal with this. This is what it means to really follow after Jesus. I was talking to a friend this week, a church planter friend. He planted a year before us. And, um, about three or four years into their journey, he was at the lowest part of his life. He said that he was uh, actually with me serving other church planters at an event, and he had a rent car, and his plan was to run this rent car off a bridge, and he was going to end his life. And I'm asking him about it. Well, man, how did, how did things get so bad that that was the option in front of you? He's the one that used this illustration of the closet being full of things. He said, you know what? There's just things that had happened in my life and hurt and pain and anger, and I never dealt with it. I just kind of shoved it in the closet. And church planting just kind of pulled all of that out, and I wasn't ready to deal with it. I didn't have the relationships, healthy relationships, 
to deal with it. I didn't know how to process it. I stopped walking with Jesus, and I just ended up in this, you know, this terrible place. I think as things get difficult, as you've been isolated in your own house for three months, as the pain our nation is feeling right now, the news feeds that you might be watching, and of course, as if 2020 can't get any more weird, right? We've got hurricanes coming. Who knows, who knows what's, what's next for us? And I feel like, listen, and we, me and Ashley have joked about this, can we just put 2020 to bed and move on and start with a new chapter? But that's not what Jesus does. Though he allows this difficulty, read James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, of many colors, and they're coming at you from every angle, and sovereign God of the universe could stop those things, but he's chosen not to. What he's chosen is he's going to use those things to make you look more like Jesus, to expose the idols in your heart. And with kindness, aren't you glad it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? This is what he says here. Jesus says, if you want to come and follow me, then you must be where I am. Here's the message paraphrase. I like how it reads this. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. Jesus speaking of his life and predicting his death. Right now I am storm-tossed, he says. And what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this. No. This is why I came in the first place. I love this response. Instead, I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. Put your glory on display. Eugene Peterson paraphrase scripture into the message in the kind of common language and of course we don't look at it as the authoritative word of God but sometimes it does help us kind of frame around what the word is saying and I love that phrase father put your glory on display I talked to a dear friend this week who's got cancer and the cancer's come back and things aren't looking too good and they're going to go through more rounds of radiation and chemo and I said, how are you doing? And they were in a good place, and we cried a little bit together, and we prayed together. But they told me this, you know what? I'm just praying the Father gets glory out of this pain. What an incredible posture of our heart, that God would get glory from our lives no matter what we walk through. This is the heart of Jesus the heart of a disciple, this readiness to see the Father glorified by what we do, by our social media posts, by our words, by our action, by our listening, that God would be glorified by what we do. Listen, it's not wise to claim to be a Jesus follower if you're not willing to follow him. I appreciate my dad so much. This was his counsel all the time. When there was any issue and then there was any problem to be solved, this is what he would say. What does God's word say about it? And he wouldn't tell me. I had to go get God's word out and see what God's word said about it. And I would have to read it and read it and go back to him and we would discuss it. What does God's word say about it? Jesus used to get so in Infuriated and frustrated with the Pharisees, the religious experts of the day. You can read through Scripture. They're the only people that Jesus ever yelled at. He would get so frustrated with them. 
knowing they were the most religious of the day, you think back, you know, they had to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they memorized them. Most of us can't even read through Leviticus in the Bible reading plan, right? We lose our way because it is just, they had to memorize that. They had to memorize most of the Psalms, several of the Proverbs, a lot of the prophets. Jesus was interacting with them in Matthew 22, conveying his frustration with them that they knew the word, but they didn't know the word. This is what he says. Jesus answered them, you're wrong because you know neither the scripture nor do you know God. And he was speaking to a religious attitude they had that because they had memorized the scripture, they thought they were experts on anything. And Jesus, the very son of God, looked at them and says, you know what, the truth is, you don't even know who God is. You don't even know the scriptures. The call is being with Jesus. But not just being with him and sitting with him like a, a monk that have removed ourselves from culture and life. No, look, look at... I don't, think I, I don't think I have this on the screen, but Mark, yeah, I think I do. Mark 3, verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he named apostles. I love this. You could underline this if you, if you have it there in your word. So that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That they may be with him. This idea again in John 12, you can come and follow me, but my servants are going to be where I am. They're going to be lined up behind me. They're going to choose the side of Jesus against anything that comes up against Jesus. They're going to be with me. So they may be with him, he says in Mark 3, and that he might send them out. And this is the call to every one of us in this room, that when we come to follow Jesus, that we may be with him. We, may be, we, we know him through, through the word of God that shows us who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit at work in that, turning the light on for us. We may be with him, but also that he would send us out. He would send us out to carry his ways and his words with us as we served our city, as we raised our family, as we worked hard at our jobs. That we would be carrying this mantle of the love and the heart of God the Father expressed through Jesus, now written on our hearts. One of the ways I want to talk about just briefly, another one of those if statements, is as we follow Jesus, that we learn to love one another. We really learn to love one another. Plays out in two ways. Love those that are in the church, which is certainly evident. Other believers but also to love those outside the church, the lost world, to really love them. You know, it's funny, the love a grandparent has for their grandkids. My mom came by the house yesterday. She texted, hey, I'm, I'm around. I'd like to come by and see the kids. She didn't say anything about me. Hey, I'd like to come by and see the kids. And at first the kids weren't there, so I told her that, and I don't think she was coming. It's about the kids, right? It's this incredible love. And this word love is so messed up in our language because we use the same word to talk about the love of a parent to a, to a child or a grandparent to a grandchild. We use that same love to describe our love for fajitas or chocolate chip cookies or whatever, right? But this is this, think about this kind of love that's on display. This is the kind of love that God is calling us to love others that are far different than us and the same love that he's calling us to love those even outside the, outside the church, those that don't know Jesus yet. A new command, he says in John 13, flip over one chapter from John 12, John 13. 
A new command I give to you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. How has Jesus loved us? I mean, perfectly, right? Think about those early followers of Jesus, how they messed up every turn of the way. They kept making fools of themselves, yet Jesus continued to pour his love on them. Think about Jesus' love even to Judas, knowing that Judas is going to betray him the next day in the upper room. What does Jesus do but love and serve Judas, washing even his feet? Jesus says, even as I've loved you, we can remember this. He loved us when we were unlovely. He died for us when we were yet sinners. Scripture tells us, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. If we really are following Jesus, we've got to love his church. We've got to love his family. We've got to love his bride. There are people that tell me all the time, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. And I would say gently but truthfully from Scripture, then you're not a disciple. Because the call is to love the body. Jesus says, if I, just as I have loved you, I need you to love others. This is how God works in us and through us. If you came up to me and said, Luke, I really like you. I like hanging out with you, but I hate your family and your kids. Golly, so annoying. I would say, okay, dude, I'm going to punch you in the face in the love of Jesus, right? You're not going to talk to me about my family that way. There's no way I would allow such a thing. This is what Jesus says about his church, his bride. Listen, there's a lot of things wrong with the church. There's a lot of things wrong. And the more I'm in the church and the more I see behind the curtains and the more I get angry emails and the more, the more I even see in my own heart, there's a lot wrong with the church. But we weren't called to be sons and daughters of God because we have all of our life together. No, we were called to fall upon him. And then he is working right now to reform us in the image of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.20 would go on to say, whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar, meaning that they really don't love God. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Listen, let me throw in a quick caveat. It is never going to be easy to love other people. Sometimes, uh, and if I've officiated your wedding, I probably said this, as the groom and the bride stand right in front of me and I'm addressing the crowd, and I'll tell the crowd, hey, listen, there's only two problems that this couple is going to face in marriage, and it's the bride and the groom. They are the problems. And we carry our sinful nature into our marriage just as we carried our sinful nature into this church room this morning. We carry it in here with us. It's never going to be easy to love each other because the enemy is always trying to destroy our love for one another. The number one target of our enemy is your relationships. He wants to break up. He wants to come between a husband and a wife. He wants to come between the parents and their kids. He wants to come between you and God. He wants to come between your relationships and the church. He is always trying to destroy your relationships because he knows, he knows the scripture. The demons quote scripture all the time. This is what Jesus said, because of your love for one another, the watching world are gonna know that you follow a different way. So you know how I'm gonna attack that witness that God is real and that Jesus has come to save? You know how I'm gonna attack that? I'm gonna destroy your relationships. 
I'm just going to come right in and just break up your relationships. And this is how he normally does it. He does it through the schemes that he has, right? 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, I forgave all those things done against me so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. The King James, I grew up, uh, the King James says the wiles of the devil, right? It's the wiles of the devil. Like this is, this is what, this is his ammo. This is his strategy. He wants to break up the image of God in you and to the world by dividing your relationships. Ephesians 4 would say this, as a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by the waves carried around by every wind of doctrine and trickery of man by craftiness and deceitful scheming, the same word. He is a unique method to destroy you. Your weaknesses might be a little different than the person next to you. Your secret's different. What you have hidden in the shadows of your life, probably different. And he is a method to expose those weaknesses and to break up your relationship with God, with each other, with your family, ultimately with the church. Here's how he starts. He starts with doubt. He wants you to doubt that God's heart is for you. He wants, to doubt, he wants you to doubt that your, your spouse is actually for you. He wants your kids to doubt that your parents, the, their parents really care for them. How many kids have said to their parents after they've brought rules and guidelines, you don't, you don't really love me doubt. That's how he does it. The battlefield is certainly in the mind, and it starts with doubt. Then he moves on to his next phase of his scheming, and that's the spirit of offense. Someone says something they shouldn't have said, or they do something they shouldn't have done, or they don't do something that they should have done. There's a spirit of offense. I remember when I was a teenager, I was preaching a message, and uh, I used a slang word that I, that I shouldn't have used, but I used it from the from the pulpit talking to teenagers and I said the word and there was a youth worker in the back that just got really offended at me and um, through the grapevine she told me I'm, not, I'm never coming back to that church because Luke used this word while he was preaching and I went to her and I apologized and I said listen I shouldn't have said that I'm sorry you know youthful exuberance let's chalk it up to youthful exuberance let's move past it I'll be I'll be more careful no she didn't let that work she left the church I ran into one of her kids 10 years later, and I said, hey, how's, how's your mom? You know what? When she left the church, she never went back to another church. She quit walking with God. It was a spirit of offense. One word said or one word not said. I see this in churches all the time. Well, well, pastor, you didn't come visit me in the hospital, or you came to visit me too many times, or you didn't call me enough, or you, did, or, or you called me too much. There's a spirit of offense. It happens in marriages. Somebody says something. And there's a spirit of offense. I'm not, now, I, I doubted their love and their heart for me. And instead of seeking reconciliation, which is what Jesus would call us to do, no, that now there was a spirit of offense. Somebody said something, and it offended me. So much so that I'm driving a wedge in the relationship. Satan's all behind the whole thing, just smiling ear to ear. The strategy's working. We're going to get them divided. We're going to get, and his next thing is, is unforgiveness. Doubt that a spirit of offense, and then unforgiveness. He wants unforgiveness to fester. Again, at marriages, at weddings all the time, I say, you know what? You'll fall out of forgiveness long before you fall out of love. You'll quit forgiving each other. You know, not, not for the big things. We're talking about for the little things. I mean, just the silliest little things. It'd be doubt and a spirit of offense, and then it'll lead to unforgiveness. I see it in churches. I see it in husbands and wives. I see it in kids against their parents. 
that, well, they should have done this for me, and they didn't do this for me, and so now there's this unforgiveness. Now here, let, let me warn you, church, this is real dangerous because once there's this spirit of unforgiveness, it leads to bitterness. Hebrews 12, 5 warns us, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, he calls it the root of bitterness, springs up and causes trouble because by it many become defiled. Your root of bitterness, unforgiveness leading to the root of bitterness doesn't just hurt you, it hurts everyone around you. It's like showing up with rotting garbage. We had some friends bring us some fish the other day. And it was amazing because they caught it and cooked it and brought it to the house. That's the best way um, to love on someone. You do all the work, bring it, bring it to me. We didn't eat all of it. We ended up throwing the, the last few pieces away that we didn't eat. It went in the trash. We missed the trash that week. So it's been festering in the hot sun. You know what fish or crawfish smell like after it's been festering. Imagine I'm carrying those sacks around with me to church this morning, and I'm sitting those sacks of rotten, disgusting fish in the chair next to me. And no one's sitting next to me. Why? Because I've got this festering issue. This is what, this is what the scriptures, this is what the author of Hebrews says happens when we, don't, when we don't deal with forgiveness. A root of bitterness takes place in our heart and in our life. Like a weed in a garden, either you attack it and remove it or, or it'll take over the whole garden. Or like cancer in a body, you've got to address it or that cancer is going to take over. Same thing with unforgiveness. If there's, if there's a spirit of unforgiveness that turns into this root of bitterness, it will take over and destroy your whole life. Listen to me from my heart. I have sat down with so many families that this happened and something happened 10, 20, 30 years ago and it was unforgiveness and this root of bitterness and now they're just angry people. They don't reflect the heart of God. Why? Because they didn't deal with it when it was small, when it was the doubt and the spirit of offense. They didn't seek reconciliation. If you don't deal with that root of bitterness, it turns into a foothold. You can look at Ephesians 4.26, literally like a foot stopping your front door from closing. Now anything can come in and out. And then if you really look into this, that foothold ultimately becomes a stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds in people's lives. Do you see the enemy has a strategy and has a scheme, the wiles of the devil coming at you to divide your relationships? I talked to a good friend just the other day. Walked with God helped me in ministry so much. And I was saying, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I'm even into this whole faith thing anymore. You know what happened? I guarantee you what happened. They started to doubt God's love for them. They let something offend them. They, 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 they were removed, right, from the family. They were on the outside. They felt isolated and alone. And the enemy, like a roaring lion, he's described, is going to come. Let that spirit of offense turn into unforgiveness, then bitterness, then a foothold, then a stronghold. church we can't risk it we can't risk the spirit of offense when you when someone does something to you and says something to you that offends you you got to go to them not in your anger let your anger die down for a little bit so you don't say things that you regret but you got to go to them help me understand spiritual growth happens in community It happens in community. This is why the enemy comes so hard against it. We've said in, in here, in, in here before, the 58 one another's in Scripture, 
to love one another, care for one another, forgive one another, and bear one another's burdens, and on and on we could go. That is impossible to do on your own. The Holy Spirit has got to do that in and through your life. That's why we got to be with Him, church. That's why we can't just play religious games and we can't just do the thing. No, we've got to walk with Jesus. We've got to be with Him. You know what happens when I'm with Jesus? He reminds me of my identity. And He starts to deal with idols of my heart. Just like going through the junk drawer and found the class ring from 1998 and didn't know it was in there. There are things in us when the junk drawer gets pulled out, we didn't even know it was in there. We're like, oh man, look, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that was in there. Jesus said, I knew it was in there. And for your good, we're going to cut it out. And this might be a little painful. This process is not going to be real easy. This is why you need to invite other wise, godly people to speak into your life, like iron sharpening iron. Sparks fly sometimes, but you become what you were made to be. We've got to break the myth that we can be a disciple unto ourselves. There's never a picture of that in Scripture. Jesus didn't even send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. He sent them out in pairs so that they could encourage each other and they could confront each other. They could speak truth to each other. Listen, this week, to be honest, it's hard to lead through the midst of uncertainty. I didn't know what to do. So you know what I did? I just started having conversations with people. You know, the protesting started. So you know what I did? I sat down with a few black pastors that I know and love and I trust, and I said, explain it to me. Just, just explain it to me. They began to tell me stories. I mean, horror stories of them, these people that I love, godly, God-honoring people. I called a few policemen that I know. One that's was a trainer in police departments for 20 years. Now he's a pastor. I said, man, just explain it to me from, from your side. I just, I just want to know. I want to I know what, you, what you're saying. Two African-American pastors, me, this police officer, we sat at a table and we read through Scripture together. We prayed together. We cried together. We repented together. It was a beautiful picture. Hey, forget all this social media posting this is, this, is, this, is, this, is not, this is not necessarily a race issue. This is, this is a heart issue with all of us. And we've got to let Jesus just pull out the drawers and saying, okay, what's in there? Let's just see. We've got to seek to reconcile, and we cannot let, we cannot afford a spirit of offense to take over because then the enemy is going to have his way with us. First John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You can't love a crowd. You can't lay down your life for a crowd. No, you lay down your life for your brothers, for your sisters, and you only begin loving them. Listen, the most powerful tool as a Christian for reconciliation in your world is your dinner table. It's a coffee table. It's just inviting people around. Hey, let's just have a conversation. And I'm not going to act like I know everything. And I'm not going to assume like you know everything. But together, let's just share our hearts. We're going to let God's word guide us. We're not going to minimize the pain, saying that, the, that it didn't exist. Neither are we going to globalize the pain. 
saying that, hey, listen, I've, and I've, I've, I've literally heard a married couple say this. You lied to me. Satan is the father of all lies. You must be possessed by a demon. Whoa, whoa, where we go here? We just, we just globalize the pain, right? That's not, what, that's not what we're supposed to do. Man, I love you, and I hope you hear my heart. The world does not need bigger church buildings. They do not, they do not need more clever sermon series. They do not need the most uh, well-worded posts. They need the church to be a transformed people following Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, so we can love like Jesus loved. Let me stop there. I want to invite you where you're at. If you would just talk to Jesus, not, not Jesus down the street that you go for good advice. No, Jesus is knocking on the door. Revelations 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. And he that opens the door, you open the door to him, that he's going to come in and sit with you and dine with you. He's going to know you. But he refuses to leave you like you are. He refuses to leave me the way that I am. Because of my conversations this week and my repenting and pursuing God, I pray I look a little bit more like Jesus today than I did last week. And that's what it is, walking with Jesus, one step of the way, being with him. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing another song in a minute and take communion in a minute, but as best you can, just right here, would you just, would you get alone with God just for a second? There's no posing or religious games with him. He knows you, everything you've ever done, every motive of your heart that you've ever had. He knows you. Would you just invite him in as he's knocking on that door? No, you can't lock the closet or the junk drawer. You're just inviting him in. And when you invite him in to be, him in to be Lord of your life, so Jesus, I don't know the answers and I'm confused. And I have a tendency to be offended. And I have a tendency to harbor unforgiveness. And I've seen unforgiveness take its root in my life that drives me to bitterness. Lord, I don't want that. I don't want Satan to have his way in my life. So Holy Spirit, do what you need to in my heart that I could hear from you. That I could be like you. Jesus, our world is broken. Our lives are broken. Our little hearts are idle factories. Something we dealt with last week just kind of rears this ugly head up again in our own life. And we have to continue to give that to you and to repent of those things. I just pray for our church, just our church right now, just the ones that are in this room or watching online. I just pray over them. Holy Spirit, do the work that you need to in our lives. Through your word, through discussion of your word with other believers, through hard truths being spoken to us, can we listen for your voice? And when we hear from you, Father, help us to respond in obedience. 
We don't just merely listen to the word and deceive ourselves, but we do what it says, what it's calling us to do. God, I pray for the churches in our city. Some of those churches are doing great gospel work. Lord, I pray that we see exponential results because of the gospel work they're doing. I pray for these pastors that are leading in uncertain times. I pray for the Christians. Lord, you always use a remnant of people to bring revival, to turn nations back to you. I pray that for our nation. Lord, that we would turn back to you. That you would begin to heal our land. Starting with our own hearts. I pray for the churches in our nation. Lord, they would stand up and speak truth. They would look just like you. I pray for the churches globally around the world. As they face hardship of many kinds. Lord, that their worship of you would be like this sweet aroma lifting up to heaven. Do what you need to in our own hearts. Lord, we submit to you. As Romans 12 says, like a living sacrifice, we lay down on the altar our own egos and our own dreams and our own ambitions and the way we think things should go. We lay all that down and say, okay, Jesus, you are Lord and Master and Savior, and we just want to follow you. And I'm committing again today that I'm going to side with you against anything else that comes up against you. Against pride. Against prejudice. Against anger. Against unforgiveness. Lord, help us to love like you loved us so that the watching world may know that we're following the greater king, the king of kings. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Do a few minutes there just to pray through some things. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with me or the connection card you've got. If you've got a prayer request specifically for me, we're gonna gather, we're gonna pray over those things we'd love to pray. So as God leads you, you respond, and then we're going to sing in just a moment together. you to stand with us this morning.
this morning. I'm caught up in your presence. Caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. Caught up in
to sit here. 